All right. Well, you're in working remotely and managing a team from a virtual office. That's what this class is. So uh, welcome. Did everyone get a handout? All right. Bill will bring you one. There might be a few more coming, but we want to go ahead and get started and honor your time and uh, stay on schedule today. So my name is Donna Barrett. I am uh, lead pastor at Rockside Church in Independence, Ohio, which is just a little bit south of Cleveland. And I also have the privilege of serving as general presbyter for Ohio. And I'm an executive officer together with uh, John Wooten and uh, Jim Palmer. The three of us kind of represent Ohio at the national uh, level. So that's a a fun thing, too. Welcome to this class. I'm so glad you're here today. And uh, first, let's start just by uh, raising your hand and telling what you hope to get out of this session or a question that you hope gets answered while we're here. Just fire away. Tools available. Great. What to do when you run out of office space. That's good. Uh, I'd like to figure out how to work away from the office more so I can be in the community more. To be out in the community more and away from the office. That's great. Yeah. How to relate with people when you're not seeing them eyeball to eyeball. Oh, that's great. How to relate to people when you're not seeing them face to face. Debbie? Being a church planner and not having office space, how to handle that whole. Okay. Church planting without an office space. I'm repeating for the sake of the recording. So, <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, good. So from an administrative point of view, how to do some things at home, some things at the office, and meld together personal life and professional life. Good. Well, you're in the right place. Uh, I'll just share my model today, and I think the Lord is going to release creativity for each one of you that you'll be able to find the model that works for you as well, too. So um, I'm excited about this class, and uh, thanks for being here. You know, one of the highest values in some of these breakout sessions is the uh, relationship you'll form with other people. So feel free to network together with other students in the class and over lunch and so forth because a lot of what you learn will come from one another. So take full advantage of that if you would. Um, This session will be available by PowerPoint slide. If you'd like to have those afterwards, just leave me your card. I'll be happy to mail that to you, email that to you. And then also all of the sessions will be available on the website uh, after today. So if there was a session you wanted to go to and it was already filled, you'll be able to listen to it uh, online afterwards on the website. So um, have hope about that. So that'll be great. All right. Well, let me pray and then we're going to get started. Okay. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day of synergy. We thank you, God, for the students that are here today. Lord, we open our hearts like sponges. We ask you, Lord, to alert us of things that we have never thought of before. And Lord, we pray that you would release some creativity in every person who's attending, that for their specific situation, you will show them the system, you will show them the remedy. Lord, anoint what we do today, and we pray that you will be glorified in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Yesterday, Dave Pafford, our leader development director, put uh, this before us that you see on the board. And uh, what it says is vision equals systems equals behavior equals culture equals momentum. And what we're going to talk about is systems. So if you have vision, but you never find the system to execute that vision, it stays stuck in this first lane. But you can see how critical systems is to taking vision to behavior, culture, and momentum. 
And so we're talking solely about systems today, and we'll share some of that with you. Here's the big idea. And you have notes there in front of you. Feel free to, to take notes. We'll have a question and answer time at the end, so write down your questions. Maybe you have something to share with the other students and just plan for that. Um, the big idea is when God leads you off the familiar path of how you've always done things or seen them done, watch for the mechanisms, processes, and systems that will help you follow God's lead. So that's the big idea of what we're talking about today. I planted and still pastor Rockside Church near Cleveland, Ohio, and God's design for this church has been for us to rent space. We rent from the Indiana Wesleyan University, and that's where we have our services. The reason was because we wanted to be in the business community for our gatherings, and uh, so without an office and a building, we work remotely. Uh, I work from home in various locations all throughout the community, and we also have a staff of eight people, and um, I lead that team with a virtual office. All of them are bivocational, and uh, we don't have a place to meet, and it's kind of a, uh, a different kind of a model. So I want to share with you in this session some of the processes and systems that we have used to be able to make this work in this model, and then I'll share with you a little bit of the why behind the what. Why did we do this, and how did we get here? But let me start by sharing some of my story of how we arrived where we're at. I started out as a pastor at Highway Tabernacle in Youngstown, Ohio with Gary Johnston. Hi, Gary. And um, that's where district council was held last year uh, in Youngstown. And when we started there, I served for 10 years uh, as a youth pastor. And we had an office wing with a clerical staff. Um, we had in-house printing press and an operator, strict office hours, weekly staff meeting from 9 till noon and lunch together afterwards every Monday. There were three building programs during my time on staff, the third of which was the construction of the Family, uh, family Life Center. Uh, it had an industrial-sized kitchen, a gymnasium, two floors of classrooms. I was heavily involved in managing some of the policies and scheduling and enforcing and establishing policy for that building. And with that facility alone that was built on there, uh, we hired an executive chef who created ice sculptures and menus so that we could market to the secular market. So it was a, it was a huge operation. That was my first experience. And uh, then I went from there to Bethel Temple in Parma. That's the location of next year's district council. And uh, when I got to Bethel Temple, it houses a Christian school. As associate pastor, I was very involved in the reality that we had a, a staff and a facility that was more school than church on some days. And during my seven years there, we had a major remodeling project and built a 10,000 square foot gymnasium. And what I noted before I left there that was that more than 50% of our budget was being used for the building, for mortgage and insurance and upkeep. And that number really caught my attention uh, as I was leaving. So model three, when, I, when it was time to plant Rockside Church, um, this was my history, and this was all I knew in terms of models of how churches in the United States in the 21st century operated. Um, I just assumed that the church owns buildings, buses, vans, gymnasiums, kitchens, Christian schools, large staffs with full-time employees, and that's how you do church in America. Thank God for those models and how they help us carry out the mission. And there's not a right way or a wrong way. I'm just going to share with you my third experience. Um, our model uh, isn't necessarily better than any other model, but we would uh, acquire, we will 
uh, we, we might acquire our own building someday, possibly, but for right now, our mission is best served as tenants working remotely with a staff using a virtual office. So Model 3 started in October of 2002. Uh, we started meeting on Friday nights with a core group of 32 people. Uh, then that next June, we held public services at various locations. Uh, we had one service at a member's backyard, the City Recreation Center. We met in the public library in their big, um, convention, their big conference room. And eventually, we launched to the public in September of 2003, renting space from Indiana Wesleyan University. If you've ever been to Independence, uh, if, if you're going to the Cleveland Clinic, you'll see an exit off to the side with a tall building and a green top to it. That's our exit, and uh, we're right there at that location. We don't own a church building. We don't have offices. I have an office in my home, and our team members all work remotely as well. So we have seven bivocational staff members plus me full-time, and that's the model that we're in right now. So here's my challenge for you today. My hope for you today is that you don't just take what we're doing and copy that, but my hope for you today is that you will feel a new level of freedom, a new level of adventure to inquire of what's on God's heart for where you're at. Even if it's different from anything you've ever known before, see, we serve a creative God and he knows you, he knows the future, he knows what he's called you to do. And he loves to start with a blank canvas where his creativity is just unleashed to design something that is sometimes unfamiliar to you, but is just right for you. And we have confidence that he will also give you the mechanisms and the processes to be able to function in that design. So I'm going to describe for you what our model looks like in the nuts and bolts of it. And... Um, I want you to, on the paper that you have in front of you there, I shared with you what my history is. And I want you just to jot down a few things on your paper of what your history is. Because we have to set aside some of the things we've known before in order to get a, a new system, a new way of doing things. And it's good to identify, here's how I do things. Here's what I've known. Here are the models that I've been exposed to. If you identify those, then you know what you have, what you have to work with in your toolbox and what newness needs to come for your toolbox. So take a moment, would you, on your handout sheet that you have and just jot down some words about what you've known in the past about your systems. Let's hear from a couple of you and just share what, what are some of the systems and the models that you're used to. Monthly board meetings. Monthly board meetings, good. Someone else. How many of you work at a brick and mortar, uh, mortar uh, building? You're in a building somewhere. Okay, good. Someone else, what's your system right now? What, what are you looking at and identifying? Deadlines. Deadlines. Okay. Weekly staff meetings. Good. Good. Okay. 
some of the systems that we use, um, I'll share with you, and then think in terms of how could that translate to, to my scenario. Um, I live in uh, Middleburg Heights, and I work 15 miles away. So I stack appointments. When I'm going over to Independence, I'll schedule appointments that are going to be next to each other and kind of stack them together. Um, when you're working remotely, you have to think ahead of where you're going and what you want to do while you're there so you're not zigzagging back and forth. If I drive to Independence to Panera to meet someone and they cancel on me and I've driven all the way over there for that and I don't have other appointments while I'm there, then I've wasted the day. So you want to plan your day and, and think in terms of stacking appointments that uh, are helpful for you. Secondly, um, sort uh, have sorting resources. For me, I have a briefcase for several um, directions that I'm going to be headed. For example, I have a Sunday morning briefcase. So throughout the week as I'm working at my desk at home and there's something that needs to go to someone I'll see on Sunday, I'll stick it in there. I might text them and say, it's in my black bag. Don't forget to grab it Sunday. And when I leave on Sunday morning, I can grab that bag and I know that everything I need for Sunday morning church is going to be in that bag. So when I get there on the first pew, it's sitting there. My board and staff know if they want me to see something, put it in the black bag, and I'll see it Monday morning when I take it home. Uh, for my presbyter stuff, I have another briefcase for that. Keep everything in that at my office at home. So when I'm headed for Columbus, I'll just grab that bag. When we bring an intern in or a new staff member, the first thing I gift them with is a bag. If you are uh, raising up younger people and you're training new workers, if you'll just simply give them the systems, oftentimes they'll succeed a lot faster than if you're letting them make mistakes that are caused by the lack of a system. So equip your people with the system that you want them to follow. For example, all of our team uses a time tracker of how they keep track of the work that they do that's church-related work. And I'll set them up with systems saying, fill in this time tracker when you're working for the church, turn it in on the 30th of the month, if you need a check, here's the form that you use. It's a payment request. It goes to the treasurer, and you give them the systems they need so that they can succeed. There is so much talent in this younger generation that can be uh, extracted from them, and some of the, the times that they don't succeed as well is because they haven't been given systems of organization to be able to do well at that. So the black bags of sorting and organizing different things really helps to have that kind of a system. Thirdly, find a way of tracking your hours and also tracking the hours of the team that you work in. Have some sort of a login, logout system so that you can track your work hours. When you're working, be fully at work. Then check out, close the door, and when you're at home, be fully at home. Be fully present for your family. If you're doing recreation, have a lot of fun at it, and don't try to work and check email while you're walking through the zoo. But have that compartment of I'm, I'm on and now I'm off, and then log it on some sort of a mechanism to keep track of hours. We use a, a time tracker. I ask all my staff to use the same tool so that it's easy for me to be able to glance at that and interface with them and manage them. Now, there are tons of tools out there. Sometimes a simple to-do list is what you need. Uh, I love Stephen Covey's um, four-quadrant chart of what's urgent and important, not urgent and not important, urgent and not important, and not urgent and not important. And you put your task out on that four-part uh, quadrant, and then you know... Things in quadrant run one are already laid, and I need to give my best to that. Quadrant two is the goal of where you want things to be. Quadrant four is when you're 
where you want to stay away from. That's opening junk mail and wasting time. And so when you move things around to these quadrants, you can get yourself organized and moving quickly. These are tools for you and tools for you to help if you're managing other people on your team as well. At the end of the month, uh, each staff member emails their time tracker. And what do I do with that? Well, here's what I'm looking for. I'm looking to see... Do they need more projects sent their way because they weren't able to put in their X amount of hours that uh, we've agreed to? So maybe I can throw them some more projects. Or maybe they went over their hours and I need to help them reprioritize, move a project along faster, take a project off their desk, help them out with that. At the bottom of the time tracker, they keep track of pending projects. That way I can see what they know they still need to do without unnecessarily reminding them. And um, sometimes we talk about the progress of that project or they have a question that they have to ask so that we can move it along. But the pending projects at the bottom of their time tracker help me to know I already know I have to do these things and I'm still working on this. Uh, if they stay on there too long, then we're talking about that. So I look at those, those type of things on the time tracker. Um, it totals up the hours at the end. Um, we also have a feature on there that you can log your volunteer hours. So, for example, I have a staff member who is employed by us, and um, she gets a certain amount of money for a certain number of hours, but then sometimes she does things at the church that she's doing as a volunteer, and those are highlighted in blue. So she can keep track of that, and I keep track of that. So our staff does that. They turn that into me at the end of the month, and that helps to keep us all on track. It helps us to manage them from a distance. One of the things I do that helps is on my iPhone, I have a, a file for each one of the seven staff members. And when I think of something I want to tell them, I make myself a note uh, on there rather than texting them right now or interrupting. Because when you're working with bivocational people, you want to honor their time and communicate with them in, in a clumped cluster uh, instead of very frequently. And so I keep track that way. And then, um, for example, my worship leader and I talk at 1 o'clock every uh, Monday for one hour. Uh, my associate pastor and I talk on his lunch break. He's a scientist at, at Axel Noble uh, Paint Company in Strongsville. So at lunch break, uh, he calls me on Wednesday, and we talk for exactly one hour. And so at that time, I'm getting up my list to see what do I want to say to Gary. So the routine thing is we look backward, we look forward. What happened the last week? How was the men's breakfast on Saturday? What were your, what were your thoughts about the Sunday service? Who did you interact with on pastoral care issues you want to tell me about? So we're looking backward. Then we're looking forward. What's in the front? Do you have some bulletin notices you want to turn in for, for the backpacking trip you're taking the guys on? Or uh, next Sunday, here's the direction I'm going to go. Would you come up and do this part of the service? So we look back, we look forward, and then we look at the bulleted items that I have and the bulleted items that he has, and we get done in about 40 minutes. We cover a whole lot of stuff. What I found in other models is that there's a lot of time wasted around the water cooler, a lot of time wasted in staff meetings where eight or ten people are sitting around listening to two people talk about something that's not of interest to the other six people, having to go out to lunch afterwards. And there's just, there's just a lot of waste and inefficiency in some of the systems that can be improved with these kind of things. So we get right to the meat of things, get in, get out, and we're keeping the communication going with people that are bivocational. Our youth directors are a married couple with a little girl, so we have our phone conversations at 9 o'clock at night after they've put the baby to bed. That works out great for them. They're wonderful youth directors, 
and they probably wouldn't be able to serve a church at this season of their life with their full-time jobs if we didn't tweak things to accommodate them. So that's a little bit of how the tracking of the hours go and how I keep track of things I want to share with them just kind of on my, uh, on my phone. Um, if you have questions, write them down, and uh, we'll, we'll take questions in just a minute. <coughs> the third factor is recruiting the right partners. In the church world, there are all kinds of wonderful people across the nation that can help you with whatever you need. So here are our partners. Our webmaster is um, Mr. Shannon Arney from Elk Point, North Dakota. He's been serving us for 12 years. I've never met him in my life. He's a great guy, and he keeps our website looking fantastic for a good price. And he's way across the country. Another team member is our design person for our flyers and our bulletin inserts. He's a church planter in Cleveland, doing a little bit of extra work on the side. I send him the information. He sends our stuff to the printer. The printer delivers it uh, to IWU, and he sends me an invoice, and we pay him electronically. And yesterday was the first day he met our administrative assistant, and he's been working for us for two years. So you have remote people. Uh, Freeconference.com is a fantastic website. It's a site we've used for our congregation. Uh, in July, we had 24 nights of prayer meetings using the conference, the freeconference.com. And so at 8 p.m. at night, we told our congregation, call in for 20 minutes, and we're going to pray together following a track that we were praying about. So you could have uh, up to 100 people call in at one time, and um, they can mute, you can pray with them, and they don't have to leave their house. And so people want to do things, but they don't want to drive out to do it. And so we had 24 days of prayer meetings via conference call. You can do your board meetings by conference call. You can do staff meetings by conference call. There's video uh, conferencing and all kinds of electronic opportunities. Now, what you want to watch for is that all of your communication doesn't become faceless, like Hal mentioned. Um, how do you keep those relationships going in, in the meantime? Be intentional about that. Um, you don't want to have all of your communication happening not face-to-face. Another partner is our CPA firm. For the last 12 years, we've used Strang, Klubnik, and Associates in Cleveland. They do our uh, payroll. They write checks for us. They do our monthly reports that I give to the board at our board meeting. At the end of the year, they do our financial reports that go in the member's book. And uh, they're, just, they're just golden, and they just charge us a little bit. It's a good checks and balance system because there's another person who does accounts payable and enters the contribution. I'm involved a little bit in coding some of the bills and seeing where we're going to um, charge things. So we've got you know four or five different uh, stations that are touching the, the journey of money for a checks and balance system, but we hired the professionals to do what none of us in-house can do and what we don't want to hire a bookkeeper to do. So we have a good accounting firm. Uh, there's an answering service that I got from one of our colleagues here that I'll pass on to you, and it's in your notes, specialtyansweringservice.net. Uh, Josh Plassant uses that for $109 a month, and they have their phones monitored and answered 24-7. When a call comes through, they have a script that the answerer follows, and uh, by what the caller says, the call information is texted or emailed to the person on the staff that needs to handle it from there. They do have a part-time secretary who turns this service off when she's there, but this way they're, they're off, their office is being answered 24-7. So those are a few of the tools and the partners that we have. So think creatively about who can do a specialty item, even from a far distance for a small price, that will make your organization better and you don't have to do everything. 
provide maximum structure and communication for interns and new recruits. I would encourage you, write out the arrangement, even if it's a, a two-page memorandum of understanding, a ministry agreement for both of you to sign regarding hours, compensation, duties, expectations on both ends, arrangement, the tools provided or needed. Uh, you know, if you're bringing an intern in for the summer, does he have his own laptop? Does he have a car that he can use? Put all of that in writing because it gets the communication going well. Sometimes with interns, that's more for their parent than for the young person. But if you communicate in writing, you uh, get a lot of those things answered up front. Annual reviews, uh, reviews every 90 days for young people that you're supervising or new staff members that you're bringing on. These are things that will help. Then identify possible meeting venues and their missional purpose. When our core group met initially, before the church was launched, we met in homes, conference rooms, libraries, uh, our city's rec room. We met at my apartment uh, complex at the uh, clubhouse. And when you're creative, there is all kinds of space around your city that can be used probably for free without you needing to own anything. On an ongoing basis, we meet at the City Rec Center indoor swimming pool for our water baptism service, and then they have a lobby where we have the party afterwards, and for $45 and a whole lot of relationship among city people, we do baptism, and we intentionally want to be out in the city because there are people that are watching and asking. It gives us a chance to interact with the city, so we do water baptism at the indoor pool um, out at the city. Um, sometimes I'll reserve a, a conference room at the IWU building um, if we want to have a, a meeting that is um, um, delicate or I need a witness around. So there's opportunity to reserve rooms at different places. Our board meeting is held every month at Shula Steakhouse. It's a restaurant down the street. They have a glass room in the center of the restaurant that's um, confidential. They close the door. They serve us lunch. They're in and out, and we have staff meetings at Shula Steakhouse and it works out uh, great for our board and any guests that are going to be coming in and out and meeting with the board while we're there, too. In the summer, public park pavilions. Uh, sometimes I just I sit in my car in the sunshine and plug my computer into the uh, cigarette lighter and just work for two or three hours outside where you can be alone and not be interrupted. So it's um, oh, one time we had a staff meeting on the Good Time 3 on Lake Erie. I took the team out uh, when we first started. We did a little bit of recreation, and then we gathered around one of the tables, and we talked about what we needed to do. So it was, it was a fun time of connecting, and we um, also prayed for Cleveland as we were swimming up and down, you know, floating up and down Lake Erie. So be creative in the venues where, uh, where you can meet. I'm going to pause right now. We have more material, but I'm going to pause right now, just get some feedback from you, uh, see if you have questions or things you would like to input, and uh, let's talk a little bit. Bob. Okay, so you said that you were meeting uh, remotely with, with a lot of your staff individually. Mm -hmm. um, do you find that you're having to repeat a lot of information each of them Yeah, we have group meetings all together once a quarter, and I'll save things that pertain to everybody for those times, and those times are for them to share what's going on in their area that the rest of the people need to hear about. I won't take that time for me and one person to talk about something that's just for us, but I'll tell them, tell us what's going on in your area that you need the rest of the team to know about. 
And so we'll have those uh, quarterly times together. Then there are times when um, I might pull um, maybe our missions director together with, uh, with our uh, youth director because we're going to do something that pertains to their two areas and me. So we can do a conference call with just those folks and talk about what's relevant to that. Um, and then there are some things that need to be communicated to all the team. I might shoot out an email and say, hey, all the staff needs to know this Sunday we need all hands on deck for the members meeting and do what you normally do, and here are some assignments. So through emails, uh, we can hit the whole group. Through quarterly meetings, they interact with one another. And then I give them freedom, too, to team up with each other. Um, you know, I might say um, to our women's director, will you work with our, our um, intern and help her out with these three things, and this week her staff meeting is going to be with you because we want to give her some more exposure. Uh, so that's how we kind of work through that. Yeah. How? How do you systematize setting all this up? Because there's a lot of overhead in terms of coordinating with people that a meeting is going to happen, and the time and the day that you're going to have a conference call, the number that's to be called. I mean, it's just a myriad of detail. Yeah. So that also it doesn't get lost when people forget or they get confused because the last time we were here, but then next time we're going to be there. How do you systematize, systematize that so it's efficient? Yeah. Well, uh, some of the people I'm meeting with at uh, the same time all week long. So. I meet with Britton at Monday at 1 and Gary Wednesday at 3 or Wednesday at noon at his lunch break. And so they have that on their schedule and they know that that's always there. Uh, some of the people um, I work with more closely and we have, a, for example, I went visitation with one of my other staff members and um, she said, let me get out my list while we're driving. And so we worked through the list while we were doing that. So some people are a little bit more flexible and on the fly, and other people have a steady appointment. And then with emails, you know, we send that out to see who's available. We communicate it that way. I have an administrative assistant that helps scheduling some of that, but uh, we remind through emails, text messages, and doing scheduling. Then we also have a, a church-wide calendar. It's, um, it's a simple Word document. Every time it changes, I change the date and my initial at the top, and I send a copy to all the staff and the board. So if they're going to plan an event, they check that most current uh, event, they send it to me to be sure the event is approved, and we update the calendar that way. So at, you can do this on Google Calendars a little more efficiently than that. But at any time, any staff member can pull up the church calendar and see what day is available that I can schedule a hayride for the teenagers. They have access to that. So they serve themselves quite a bit. <laughs> In this model, um, the clerical service happens by that person themselves. For example, everyone has to write their own bulletin article, turn it into Jim by... Wednesday at 5 through email, and if they don't meet the deadline, it doesn't go in that week. I proof it and clean it up a bit one last look, but they write their own stuff. So, you know, the day of having a secretary or administrative assistant is kind of over, and you serve yourself. So, good question, Hal. Anyone else? Deb? Counseling appointments. Right now, we are renting a space in a school, so I only have that on Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. The rest of the week, though, I don't have space. And so those counseling appointments are the ones that are the ones that are giving me a little bit of a, a pause. Yeah. So how do I handle counseling appointments? Where? What suggestions? Yeah. Panera has a back glass room that you can sometimes reserve if it's a, a group of people and you want to close a door. A lot of our public libraries have some private space that you can reserve and meet someone there. Um, 
at, at IWU, I'm able to reserve a study room and meet someone there. And if I'm doing counseling where, like if I'm counseling um, someone of the opposite gender and I need um, accountability, there's glass doors on all those rooms. And so I'll reserve a, a room there where there's going to be other people around and it's, it's open. I can leave the door open or whatever. Uh, so those are some of the places for uh, private counseling uh, to happen if you're out and about. But that's, that's the place where you want to have um, the most security and the most safety and the freedom. I've done counseling in my uh, living room if it's, if it's a woman, and I feel safe about doing that. So why don't you come over to my house? We'll have a cup of coffee and led people to the Lord there, seeing them filled with the Holy Spirit. Deliverance happened there in my living room. When you have family, you need to have a marked spot in the home where they can come in and out without everybody seeing who you're counseling so that their privacy is guarded. Um, yeah. I remember when Dwayne Bull planted uh, New Life Assembly of God. He had a he had a um, office in the basement, and he told his wife, "Don't bother me until you have lunch ready. I'm going to the basement." And so, you, when you're church planting and working at home, you just have marked off areas where people can't get to you and where the children aren't going to be uh, to be around. So, yeah. Any anyone else? Okay, let's keep going and. Um, Maybe you'll have some questions at the end, too, that you want to look at. So this is the best of worlds, and it's the worst of worlds. (laughs) Working remotely is the best of worlds. It provides freedom, efficiency, visibility to the community as you're out and about in the Panera stores. Economic savings is just off the charts. I love to save a buck, and this is a great way to do it. You're able to reallocate money to missions and other things. But it also is the worst of worlds. It requires focus, self-motivation, built-in accountability. It requires intentional socializing with the people that are on your team. And um, what takes the place of the water cooler chats at the office is something you have to be intentional about so that your relationships stay rich. So it's the best of worlds and it's the worst of worlds. Let me tell you a few things to guard against if you're moving more toward this. Guard against seeing deadlines as a task instead of a person waiting for action so that they can do their part. And here's what I mean by that. When you look at the things that you have to do, if they are just tasks and you're working alone at home, before you know it, you become really bored and you become a grouchy old curmudgeon. But you look at those tasks and you think about the person that's on the other end of that. Who's going to be helped by this project I'm doing? So, for example, I I look at my sermon prep deadline and I think, I've got to get this sermon done by 5 o'clock on Wednesday because Kim Holsapa, who I like very much, is waiting to do the PowerPoint for me. And Jim Drasdick, who's just a blessing in volunteering, is waiting for the bulletin insert that he's going to create. And so I let people motivate me toward the deadline instead of the project. So if I'm working on finances and accounting, I'm thinking about... Good old Robert over at Strang Club and and Associates. I don't want him to be emailing me in a couple days saying, hey, where's the stuff for this month so that I can do my part? So I'm thinking about Robert. He's waiting for a deadline for me. And we think about people when we're working by ourselves instead of projects so that we don't get stuck in the unfunness of that. So guard against just seeing the deadlines and making it unfun. Do whatever you need to do to make it enjoyable for you and to make it pleasant for you to work remotely and manage from a a virtual office. Guard against isolating yourself instead of connecting with the people of the ministry. 
Now, I'm an introvert. I don't know what your wiring is, so it doesn't hurt me to work at home. Some people need to work in a group. They need people around. They need to stop once in a while and, and check Facebook just to know that they're not in this, in this thing alone. And so look for ways to not isolate yourself. If you're, if you're an introvert and you're working from home, you can get yourself disconnected from the people. So you have to be intentional to socialize a little bit. Guard against having many staff meetings on Sunday when the congregation needs our attention. When you have eight people and you're in staff together, you communicate with them at other times. But on Sunday morning, I've told our folks, we're here for the people. Please don't ask me a staff meeting question or something that we need to work on. We're here to serve the people. And you have to guard against having uh, many staff meetings. I had an intern once that every time I would show up on Sunday morning, he would come over and start telling me what he had been working on and asking questions and trying to get permission. I said, you know what we're doing right now? We're having a staff meeting and we don't want to do that. We're here for the people. So guard against uh, the different roles in the different places, okay? Um, Guard against covering items with staff one item at a time rather than compiling a list for the next meeting or conversation with that individual, especially if they're bivocational. Do everything you can to honor their time and help them to be able to serve in a way that doesn't tax them and doesn't impose on the other parts of their life that they have to manage. Guard against lost identity. Staff members no longer find their identity in the church building they go to, um, the place they report on Monday morning, but now they find their identity in the work that they're doing and the Lord they're serving, and it's a lot of intangible stuff, and that identity shift um, can be difficult for you, so guard against that. Now, is this for everyone? It's not. There are some people who cannot work in this environment. There are people that need to work in groups. There are people that can't get themselves managed well enough to be able to discipline themselves to work this way. And so it's not for everyone. So that's the practical side of working remotely and leading a team from a virtual office, just from my experience. But I want you to take the situation that you're in and say, God, what vision have you given me? And what system do I need to embrace so that I can execute my vision with systems, because if you take systems out of there, you never get to change. You never get to behavior, culture, or momentum, because the system is kind of the hinge in this whole process. So, what system would God want to give you for what He's asked you to do that you might create yourself or grab from somebody else? Think about that. Let me talk to you now about the why behind the what. What is the why behind this model? Well, I want to share with you three things, my calling, my conviction, and my core values. And I want you to to mine for what is your calling, what are your convictions, what are the core values that you carry in the organization that you're with that would require a system different than what you're using right now. My calling, before becoming a pastor, I spent a, a decade in the secular marketplace working in our county courthouse and then in a law office. And I longed for the church to be deposited physically and spiritually right in the middle of the business community. That was my calling when I planted Rockside Church. And so we're a tenant among other people in our building. We're a co-tenant and we're also a building that's in a One mile radius, we have 35,000 business people working right around us. And that's, that's what God called me to do. And so in order to be in that expensive neighborhood, 
and be present there among the business community, renting was what would work for us and doing it this way. So it was about the calling. It's not about doing something different just for change's sake or because you didn't like the last two experiences. It's about, God, what have you called me to do? And what is the system that will drive that vision forward? That's what you're looking for. System is very spiritual. And God has something designed just for the situation that you're in. I wanted to uh, be able to serve and influence the business community for Christ in as many ways as possible. And I'm more comfortable as a pastor working in our, uh, a local restaurant or attending a chamber of commerce meeting or being visible at city functions or being in and out of our high schools there in Independence or being at the library. That's where I feel like God has called me to pastor, not being stuck inside of a church campus just with church folks. So I feel called to the city of Independence, and I see Rockside Church as the launch pad that makes that possible. And so because of the calling, the system follows. What's your calling? Number two, conviction. Though it has never happened in the 200 years of our country, it's my personal conviction that within our lifetime, we will see the persecution of the church and possibly be forced to go underground. That's just my personal conviction. Um, Many of our brothers and sisters around the world do church without buildings, buses, vans, mortgages, debt, full-time staff, calendars. The church around the world is not like the church in America and a lot of other places. And a lot of that is because of persecution. We, are, um, we want to be persecution ready. We want to be ready if the church has to go underground, that the model we have is going to accommodate that. Even lead pastors in many countries are bivocational. And I'm concerned that we've created a model of how we do church in the 21st century in America that is not sustainable into our future, and it has professionalized the ministry to the detriment of the priesthood of every believer in the church. With regard to debt, here's my conviction, that churches need to minimize debt as much as possible, both both personally and corporately as a church, so that in a time of economic collapse, The church is postured not only to survive, but the church is postured to help the needy. And so with those convictions, this is the system that accommodates that. And then thirdly, core values. The core values of whatever um, uh, organization you're a part of, or the core values of your family that should be defined, you should know, or the core values that you have for yourself will help drive the systems that you create when you look at this process right here. Uh, The model of a virtual office and working remotely is served by several of the core values that Rockside Church has. And so this morning, I want to just share three of those core values so that you can kind of see how they tie in to the systems that you want to create, okay? The first core value we want to talk about is worldview. Here's what it says on the back of our bulletin. And you don't want your core values just to be printed words on the back of your bulletin, but you want them to be things that... Um, are in the very fiber of all that you're doing, including the day-to-day work and the systems you embrace. So we have a core value of worldview, and it says this, In the foundation of this church is a passion to help spread the good news of Christ around the world through giving, sending, praying, and going. Last year, we were able to give 42% of our income to missions. We were able to do that because we're renting a building, and we have by vocational staff. And the urgency of the day and the reason the Assemblies of God was formed was so that we would be able to support as many missionaries as possible. 
And we can't do that once we end up with a building that's killing us and the mortgage is eating us alive and the parking lot costs $70,000 to re-blacktop. And there are expenses that keep us from being able to do what the church was initially called to do, and that's to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. And the church is able to do that best. Let me share two statistics with you. Um, In the Assemblies of God in the United States, in the richest country of the world, 21% of our churches gave nothing to missions last year. In the Assemblies of God inside the United States, 37% of our Assembly of God churches gave $1,000 or less to missions. Now, when you take an organization that was founded for the purpose of taking the gospel around the world, missions is why we exist. Everything that we do, every system we embrace, every decision we make about buildings or vans or buses or whatever, need to drop through that grid of, God, what have you called the church to do? What is our priority? And how have we gotten off track a little bit? And so with the, with the, the core value of worldview, this system fits into that because we want to do all that we can for our missionaries and not have a lot of expense here. Um, the amount of money we pay for rent for the whole year is the amount of money that one month of mortgage is for the church that one of my family members goes to, another Assembly of God church. And um, we just need to be real careful when we look about what we're doing. And so worldview um, helps drive uh, this system. The second core value we have is empowering people for ministry. Our core value says, every follower of Christ is most fulfilled when serving. So we strive to equip, support, Release and empower every person to serve God. Empowering people for ministry. Francis Chan recently told a story about a Chinese pastor friend of his who was pastoring an underground church. And for a season, this church was permitted to come up from underground and go public. And he said he really didn't like that season because the church just came out to watch him preach. And it was like, I'm performing and you're all watching and you've stopped being the church. And that church got pushed back underground for a while. And he said, we really like this better because that's when the church functions like it's designed to do. The priesthood of the believer comes up to the top. And um, so when I was first called to ministry at the age of 19, I thought, I assumed the only way I was going to get into ministry was to go away for a four-year degree at one of our Assembly of God Bible colleges, marry a man who is called to be a pastor, and be a good pastor's wife, and that's how I would get into ministry. Well, God had a different plan for me because I didn't have any money, so I went and got a job. I went and got two jobs, and I stayed local, and God had a different track for me. I ended up in ministry in a very atypical way. And I'm convinced that there are people called of God all over the place that are never going to make it through that traditional track of how some people get into full-time ministry. And they need opportunities. Somebody gave me an opportunity in a non-traditional kind of way. And every one of our staff members would never have come through that traditional path. Let me talk to you just about Kathy for an example. Kathy went to Christ for the Nations when she was a young adult and got an associate's degree in ministry. And she came back and you know, due to just lack of opportunity, went back to uh, college and got a master's degree and worked at the Cuyahoga County Public Library and worked her way all the way up to the top. And she just retired early as a manager in the library system. But Kathy was originally called to ministry. And she should have been doing ministry all of her life. And she has been doing ministry in the marketplace. 
but she was able to come on our team in a very non-traditional way because of how we do uh, staff and how we do church. And so when you look for unusual systems that follow the vision God has given you, you'll be able to empower other people to be involved and be included in ministry that might not make it in a traditional way. So our team is made up of a retired library manager, a scientist who works full-time, an adjunct professor who's in three of our universities around the city, um, an IWU sites manager, a uh, nursing home manager, uh, a manager of a mentally ill uh, home, a full-time musician who plays out in secular gigs all over the city and does recording, and then he leads worship for us. And so these are, these are the people who comprise our team. None of them have been to Central Bible College or Evangel University or any of our schools. Um, none of them are full-time but we've empowered people for ministry uh, through the priesthood of the believer. So the goal isn't to get as many people on the payroll at the church as possible. It's to empower every person in the pew to be released for ministry in the way that God has for them. I'll share just the third core value, simplicity. This core value says this, less is more when done well and with purpose. We streamline church activities so believers have more time to foster relationships with Christ their family, and the people who need to see God's love lived out before them. So, see, we need our building on the weekends. Indiana Wesleyan University needs it Monday through Friday, so it's a win-win. We share the building, we share the cost, and we're not owning a building that's sitting there empty a couple days a week that we're paying a mortgage on. Um, our, our team is able to be out serving See, Rockside Church is a part of the Church of Cleveland, and that gets walked out because even our staff members are out doing things in the community because of the core value of simplicity. Our building owner, uh, University, uh, is able to help us, uh, help us to do this. We keep a lean calendar. We want people involved outside of the local church with the bigger Church of Cleveland in outreach. So, for example, our associate pastor runs men's weekends, um, our missions director teaches Bible study fellowship for teenagers, and our worship leader does recordings out and about. So here's in conclusion, the big idea. When God leads you off the familiar path of how you've always done things or seen them done, watch for the mechanisms, processes, systems that will help you follow God's lead. That's the big idea. All right, your turn. How? Uh, three of them are stipend. And the others don't need to be. <laughs> yeah, so they work for free. Questions, ideas? Maybe you have thoughts that the room could benefit or some other things you want to share. Just refreshing to hear that other people, like, I know something he's leading me to, and I thought it was so awful. My husband kept saying, let's look, go visit other people doing it. I said, honey, I really don't believe other people are doing this yet. I, All right. I knew it was something new, something fresh, and I didn't know that this was already out there. So that's, yeah. that's refreshing to know that people are doing this with success. And yeah. I mean, not, it doesn't exactly what I'm going at, but it's... It's a new idea that you're looking for a system to yes, follow. And, that's great. I mean, he's laying out ideas yeah. of how to do it. Mm-hmm. But just to, just to confirm, but, and even a word you've mentioned several times is something he has spoke to my heart, like over this past two weeks when I was preparing. And so I'm just mm-hmm. like... Okay, you're confirming something. I get it. So that's God. awesome. Thank you. 
Yeah, when you're being creative, just go for it. It doesn't matter if you don't see another model of it somewhere else because God's creative. Just don't criticize other models or think this is the only model. Um, be open and, and accepting to others. But I'd love to, to pray with you before we, before we go, and I think the next class is about ready to come in. So, there. <laughs> Father, thanks so much for this time together. and We pray, Lord, that you would release creativity in every attendee today. We pray, God, that you would help them with the systems they need in order to take Take that vision on down the road and see it fulfilled for the glory of God, for your kingdom to be advanced. Lord, bless each one, we pray, and release release divine creativity in our hearts and minds and strong networking that we might steal ideas from one another and find a system that's just right for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, thanks, everybody. Thanks for coming. Enjoy the rest of your day at Synergy.